0: welcome to jobs for women a podcast and free members club where we help you navigate life and work and get the salary you deserve we bring you raw conversations with real women navigating the work world expect expert advice solutions driven content and access to our free members club we're not just talking change we are making it happen be part of the movement i'm so happy you're here Oh, hi, Zoe here. Just before you jump into this episode, I just wanted to let you know that first of all, having Steph on the podcast was so huge for Jobs for Women and for me. I love everything that Steph stands for with her Believe, Achieve ethos. And her story is just mind-blowing. It's inspiring. It's raw. And I just think you're absolutely going to love it. But there's a little caveat. I had a tech nightmare the day we recorded, and I won't go into detail, but there might be some little noise interferences. There might be bits that aren't perfect, but do you know what? We are real at Jobs for Women. We are honest. We didn't have an opportunity to retake because Stephanie's time is so precious. I know she said to me afterwards that she would have done. But I'm just bringing it to you as it is. Some of you might not even notice, but I just wanted to let you know if there is any little interference or it's not as good as usual, then that is why. But I hope that you will take from it the incredible content, the conversation and the messages that Steph is sending out. I think every single person in the world could get something from this podcast episode. So enjoy and let me know what you think. So welcome to another episode of the Jobs for Women podcast. I am super duper excited. I say it every week, but I'm even more excited because we've got an extremely special guest, a guest that I have been trying to get on the podcast for a long time, but she is super busy. um, And we're going to talk all about that. So
1: welcome to the podcast, Stephanie Hurst. Zoe, it is an honour to be on. Thank you so much for asking me. And I know it's taken ages to kind of I think that that's that's the thing with podcasts isn't it you know we 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 set out on this great plan to create a podcast and then it's tracking guests down and then working with other people's diaries and then our own diaries because we get busy and we put things in and then that clashes with someone else's so it is, it's always a bit tricky trying to align diaries isn't it
0: yeah, 100%. But I'm just so grateful that you've given us this time. Um, and we were just chatting uh, off the pod just a second ago. I'm having one of those nightmare tech days. And we both just agreed that you just got to roll with it. Life is life. It? It.
1: Yesterday, my day was challenging. But I guess that's the that's the rich tapestry of life, isn't it? Some days you get days which are just amazing and others that are just a little more challenging.
0: Yeah, 100%. So let's kickstart. Your career has been so inspiring, so incredible. And we met at an event and you did a talk and I was, I think, mouth open, blown away. Your story is so inspiring. You have a long career as one of the biggest UK's radio stars. Um, So talk to us, tell us a little bit about what you do for those that perhaps aren't as familiar. Um,
1: yeah, I'm a public speaker. My main job these days is, is a public speaker, but I still do radio and I will always do radio um, as long as the radio exists or as long as I'm alive because I've always said I want to be on the radio till the day I die. Because from a real early age, I fell in love with the radio. There was something about it. And I used to, I, I call it the magic box. Well, I used to call it, I still, probably still do call it the magic box because literally you could go on a journey and I could listen to radio stations that were miles away, really late at night when the atmosphere, my dad taught me about atmospherics. because My dad used to like the solar system and all sorts of stuff like that. And he taught me that if I listened to the radio late at night, I could pick up stations that were in like Germany. If I pointed the aerial in a certain direction and the atmospherics were good and it was a clear sky, so there was nothing in the way of blocking the signal, uh, I could hear. So I was like, gosh, you could pick all this stuff up. And then I found my local radio station and I was that, I was that person that rang for every competition. I wanted every car sticker. I wanted every DJ photograph. My pencil case, which I've still got from school, um, has the D, my favorite DJ's names written on it and the radio station logo. I was just, I, I just, we all have obsessions as, as children, don't we? And my obsession was my local radio station, which was called Radio Air. It was based in Leeds. and um, And weirdly that, that I still get to do shows from that building, it's not called Radio Air any any longer. Uh, But I do occasional shows from that building. And it's always really special going back in because the studio doors, the equipment's very different, but the studio doors are the same. So when I pull, and they're really thick, there's two of them for each studio, they're called an airlock for soundproofing. And I pull the first one and then throw the right hand side of my body into the second one. And I've done that, I started working there at 12. And I've done that since I was 12. And it's, you know, it's really special to be back. I'm back in that building on Thursday and Friday this week doing some shows. So it's always really special going back in. It, it, I don't know, it just reminds me of that youthful, innocent feeling. So I got in, I, I, I rang the radio station, I rang the DJs. Um, I went in actually on an open day when I was nine and made the decision at nine, <laughs> excuse me, that I want to work there. And it took me by 12 to get in. And, yeah, and then I didn't leave until I was 18. So I was very lucky I got in when, I mean, you're not you're not allowed to let children work in radio stations these days. But, yeah, we did. We did. And there was a, Chris Miles was another one. He's one of my best friends. Um, He was a year older than me. But we were the same age pretty much, you know, 12, 13, 14 when we got in. Because, you know, you were, DJs rocked up in their flashy cars with their names written down the side of it sponsored by the local Ford dealer or whatever. And they didn't want to get their own records or CDs out or make their own tea or coffee. It was the kids that did it. and But that gave us a chance to be in the building and to learn the ropes and to, you know, I did work experience when I was 15 and I begged my school to allow me to do, it was a, a thing called Project Trident work experience. And I did that at the age of 15 and thought, I'm going to get to be in the radio station. I'm going to get to be in the studios every single day of the week. And I wasn't. I worked in the news department, the promotions department, the sales department. And I learned so much about how the business works. And that actually was perfect work experience because I was in that building at a weekend making tea for DJs. But I didn't understand what the numbers on the sales board did or sales targets or how the news was collated, or the sponsorship and the promotion side of things, um, what the receptionist did, all those kind of things. And that really was key. I've talked about this before, about how important that was for me going forward in my life, in you know, having a job and working. That is so powerful as well, because like, we've got a range of, of listeners, and we work with colleges
0: and unis, you know, And when you're at the start of your career, that is such a great story to listen to, because I think Mm. sometimes you can get a bit caught up with, I'll go and I'll do my training and I'll go to uni and then I'll go in at that level. But having that full scope of how a business works is instrumental. And it obviously was because you got your foot in the door and then you stayed.
1: So well done. Yeah, yeah. but, But seeing, you know, I used to walk past, there was a big whiteboard in the sales department and i'd walk past it and just see a load of numbers on it and not have any idea what those numbers were of you know targets and you know other sales figures that were coming in and projected sales targets i, I didn't understand any of that until it was explained to me and then i got i got an idea of how the business works and especially commercial radio bbc of course is funded by the license payer Whereas commercial, you know, we've got to sell adverts. So people always say, oh, I don't like adverts on the radio, but I love your radio station. Well, the radio station won't exist if we don't sell adverts. So we've got to, you know, unfortunately, we've got to play the adverts to to pay the electric.
0: So we can keep keep
1: playing your favourite songs and pay the DJs, essentially. Yeah, exactly.
0: And it's funny, people don't get it, do they? It's the same as, I don't know, podcasting and everything. It's like you've got to pay the
1: bills somehow. You are, but sometimes you've got to get things sponsored because... You know, there are some people that want to feed, I don't, <laughs> but there are some guests that, you know, some some people of seriously high profile, if you want them on your podcast, which will then drive audience towards that podcast because they'll see them. You know, there are people or influencers that want to feed these days, which I think is a bit, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah,
0: I'm with you. And you—you you said about public speaking. Talk to us about that because obviously that's
1: where we met. And I was like, "You are good at this." So tell us what oh, you're doing. Oh, bless, with you. That. bless you. So it was at Dakota, wasn't it? Yeah. Um. When, uh, for uh, Yorkshire Business Women, when yeah. I, uh, when I spoke, um. So I'd, I'd worked in radio, um, from the age of of twelve. Got on the air at sixteen. Everything, you know was great in my career i was i was i was doing my dream job you know i i there was nothing else i ever wanted to do it was work in the world of radio and i've always said that in fact i was talking to my friend the other day about what it was like working in a radio station back in the day and it was like a crash for adults it's the only way i can kind of explain it because we just had a ball it was just a laugh you would go in you'd go into work say, for instance, I was on at four o'clock in the afternoon on drive time or something. I'd go into work at 10 in the morning, not to do any work, just for the crack. And you'd go and sit in the record library with the librarian and listen to the week's new releases and all of that stuff. And it was just, it was it was amazing. So I got to do all of that um, and ended up doing the biggest breakfast show outside London on Capitol, which was Galaxy originally. And then uh, I got the National Chart Show. So so for a few years, I was there. I was, I guess, really, and I hate this because I'm not a fan of egos. We've all got them, but I try and always keep mine in check. Um, Because I think as I came through the ranks, I saw DJs with massive egos and went, I never want to be like you. I want your job, but I never want to be like you. (laughs) But my my mum always said to me, treat people the way you like to be treated have respect for others. And, and my mum's my, my key point, uh, one of her sayings was don't be a twat. So I've always carried that. <laughs> I've always carried that through in like, just be a good person. It's not difficult, is it? So um, so um, I ended up doing the biggest breakfast outside London, got the National Chart Show. So for a time I was, you know, for a few years, I was the, the biggest commercial radio DJ in the country, bar none. Um, and I didn't realise that at the time. It was only someone who mentioned to that to me years later it didn't I didn't put two and two together because I was just doing my dream job um but from a very early age I knew that my gender was wrong so from the age of three essentially my first memories that was that my gender wasn't right and and but I couldn't put that into words so what happened was essentially you know they don't do this at school anymore um But they'd say all the girls go to one side of the classroom, all the boys go to the other. And I just go and sit with the girls. This is at like nursery preschool. And they oh no, you sit back over there, sit with the boys. And then they do it again. My mum ended up going down. I kept saying, I'm a girl. She's saying, No, you're a boy. And then I kind of learned that I shouldn't talk about this stuff. I think as a child, you tend to internalize things. Maybe you see you know your parents arguing or you see something because we like sponges as children aren't we and I I I pretty much worked out because I constantly was getting told that I wasn't this I wasn't a girl so I started to internalize it and then they wouldn't allow me near sharp objects because I tried to cut that thing I used to have off when I was seven so I got I wasn't allowed near sharp objects for a bit um so I tended to internalize it and I think that's why I became obsessed with radio I think that was the thing it, that was the thing that made it go away, albeit temporarily, it was a plaster. And as I got into my late 20s and early 30s, that's when the plaster fell off. And that's when I seriously got into a really bad way. Work was amazing. Winning industry awards, the equivalent to BAFTAs in the world of radio. You know, it was, it was, it was incredible. And I worked really hard, but internally I was, I was a mess and a couple of failed suicide attempts. I'm sorry if this is triggering for anybody, but you know, thankfully I'm still here. Um, and I'd been to my GP when I was 17. I'd just passed my driving test and I'd been and seen my GP told him how I felt. Um, and he he it was something along the lines of I strongly recommend you don't take this path in life. You'll lose family, friends, you won't have a successful life or something. And I got back in my Vauxhall Nova, which weirdly I still own, that actual very car, um, and cried my eyes out. And I remember just sitting there sobbing. And I made a decision at 17. I was obviously working in radio at this age, but I made a decision that radio was the only thing that, that made it go away. So I, I buried I tried to bury it. And it was, it was something I thought about every single day of my life, but I've managed to keep it at bay sometimes. Um, but as I got older, it wasn't going away. And I knew, because what society and what the media projected on, on us when I was growing up was certainly that anyone that did transition lost everything. So I would get the daily newspapers at work every day, doing a, doing a breakfast show for 15 years that I did, and I'd read through the daily newspapers. And there was always a story about someone, every so often, there was a story about someone that had transitioned. And it was a a really bad negative headline, like sex change Charlie or gender bending freak or something with a really bad side profile photograph. And that was projected on everyone that anyone that did this is freakish and weird. And basically, the, the way that I explain it is that biology gets drunk. And, you know, sometimes children, as when we're born, We're all different. And some children are born with learning difficulties. Some are born with limbs that are different. We all come in different shapes and sizes and different forms. My brain formed opposite to how I came out looking. And it's always been, it was always at odds with me. This wasn't mental. This is how my brain formed. So I couldn't, the only way I could could continue living was to get my body in line with how my mind is. Well, my brain is formed, and that essentially is it. and I've never regretted the decision of doing it. I've never regretted anything I've gone through. I am you know that I'm, I'm it's it's a decade ago now since I transitioned, and it's the best thing I've ever done. So believe, achieve, I guess really was born out of of my story. So I was already going around universities and student radio stations and schools and bits and pieces, talking about my career in radio, essentially. Um, Back in the galaxy, there was a radio station called Galaxy where I worked at, and we did a thing called the the Galaxy Academy or something. And I used to do a talk. It was like a six-week program, and I would go in and do a talk to the students. So I created this little keynote um, about my history in radio with loads of clips and bits and pieces like that. And then once I transitioned, I was asked to do a keynote um, so I updated it with some of my story that I'd been through. And bear in mind that it was early days. and You know, this is probably eight, nine years ago. Um, and I, I, I added that into it. So it came out of something that I was doing already. But the title for it comes from uh, when I was at school, I got bullied quite severely because I was short, spindly, tiny. And I just got bullied. I think I think the kids at school worked out that I was different before I'd worked it out. And because, you know, the kids you go to school with, the kids I went to school with at at infant school or nursery, I was still with them at 15. Yes, the odd one came and went, but essentially the ones I met on the day of nursery, I was still with at 15. And they made a decision about me at probably three or five or six or seven. And that, that stuck. So I was, you know... I got all the names under the sun, you know, and I just used to stay behind. Instead of walking out the school gates, I'd just stay behind in the library um, and just read for 10 minutes, just so everyone went out the front gates instead of, because it was easier. You just get your head kicked in. Not every day, but at least once or twice a week. So I would just, I'd just stay behind. And I was reading a book one day in Miss Rose's library and, um, I was reading this book and I wish I knew what book it was. I don't. But within this book was a paragraph and it said something like, and she believed and she achieved. Now, I was working in the radio station, I believe, and achieved my way into the radio station. But that wasn't enough. I wanted to be on air. I wanted to be doing a show. But I was, I was too young. I was 14 or 15 when I saw this. But it was 16 by the time I got a show. So I used to say to myself, believe, achieve. So i tap on my forehead on believe and point on achieve, going believe, achieve, believe, achieve. So much so I did my mum's in. So believe, achieve, believe, achieve, believe, achieve. And I think I didn't understand what manifestation meant. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just knew I was. And I think thoughts become reality. So this keynote, and I was trying to find a title for it, and I talked about believe, achieve, and that story, and seeing that book in it. And it was just like a no-brainer to call it Believe Achieved because I believed and I achieved. And I want to show other people with this hour-long keynote, which is, it sounds like I'm doing a sales pitch, pitch for it now. <laughs> but it's, it's a proper roller coaster And I, I start, there's a video I play at the start, which is, is, you know, shocks people because I think people see me walk on stage if they're not aware of my story. And it knocks them for six because they don't expect what I'm about to tell them or share with them.
0: I can totally agree with that because I did. I wasn't aware of your story. I used to listen to you on the radio way back. I didn't put two and two together, <laughs> and I didn't put two. I was late as always. Not very good at the old timekeeping. I was late, Yay. so I stood at the back, mm-hmm. and I just watched you. And I was mesmerized. And everything you've mm-hmm. said about the believe achieve and the story in the video, it's it's hard hitting. It it is so powerful, and I think. I admire how brave you are talking about it. Those stories at school, oh, I, can, I mean, I was I was bullied at school and had a pretty tough time and it still gets me. It's like that PTSD feeling when you talked about hanging back for 10 minutes so you didn't get your head kicked in. There are yeah. children or younger
1: people or ed- people still going through that and it, it's, it's, it's it, horrific. And you know what, Zoe, it's even worse now because it doesn't, when when the kids walked out the front gate, and if I went home, that was it until the next day. But now, it's all on air. It's on. It's on phones. There are there. You know, the kids can't even have their phones on because they'll get messages from other kids. So it's relentless. So I mean, how many times have you had that conversation with friends? And I'm sure anyone that's listening to this right now will go, "Yes, would you like to be a kid again?" Yes. Would I like to be a kid again when it went out in the year in the eighties or nineties or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would. Not now. Gosh, no way. I no want way. to be growing up in this in this era. No way. No. Yeah,
0: way. I said that recently actually to my friend. Um, just going back a second, you said you knew at age three, which is so. And you know, like the biology getting drunk, I can really relate to that because I was listening to a podcast the other day about. Gender being decided in like the last few weeks or months, and it's like we're all the same. So, so you you knew from age three because you had this incredible career because you believed it and you got in the door and you did your work experience. Did you feel trapped in a way that you had this fame, you had the most success, but then that that annoying GP, that terrible GP, had kind of warned you off it.
1: Yeah, but it was. You know, it was the 90s and it was a different time. And so I can't, I think the GP was just looking out for me. I can't, it was wrong. The advice he gave me was wrong. And I do worry about how many other people he put back decades because of it. But I guess he was just, you know, he was recognising what society was like. And he knew I would get a tough time. And I guess I knew I would get a tough time, but I think for me it was about—it's always been about survival. It's all always been about I, I need to do the best thing for for me to get through this. And I think we all go through that, don't we? Um, mm-hmm. But at, but at three, I couldn't verbalize it. Well, the only way I was I was saying I was a girl, so that was verbalizing it. But I I couldn't I couldn't put it into any words because I'm three years old. All I'm saying is that I'm a girl and I'm being told I'm not. And this goes on until you know till I'm about five, and then I start to internalize it and This is what I've picked up you know from conversations I've had over the years with family members or you know my parents and no, my, my dad died um three years ago, my mum was ten years ago, but over the years, and my mum and dad were so supportive of me of what I went through, but I had to pick their brains right, so why did I do this and um, why? Why did that happen? Oh, we went there and this happened, and so you kind of piece your story together over the years. Because I had a very, I had a very open relationship with my parents. My mum was like, we were we were chalk and cheese, but she was like my best friend as well. So I I could ask her things, and she was, you know, she was amazing. Did they help you piece it together?
0: As in, how did I act at that age, and what did I play with, and did they help you in that well,
1: way? Do you know what interesting? interestingly, um, because it's 10 years since my mum passed um, this year, uh, I went out with a couple of her friends to kind of celebrate her life and remember her 10 years on. And that night I was, I, was, I was picking their brains going, so what was I like as a child? You know, all of these things. And I was. I mean, they took me off e-numbers as a child because I was climbing walls. And I was like, you know, I was just, I was manic. And I think I was manic because there was just a lot going on in my head. It never, even now as an adult, it never switches off. And I think because I was never calm and I always seemed distracted, that is a lot to do with the fact that I just wasn't at peace inside my head and I could never work it out. So I was was hiding things inside myself. So there's only, you try and unpick these things as you get older. I don't spend too long dwelling on it because I think, you know, I'm all about the here and now, but it's interesting when you look back at certain things and certain, like relationships, for instance, you know, I, I just, I made a mess of them all. And I have a bit of guilt about that, about, I never treated anybody really badly, but I just, you know, I'd have something amazing and then I would self-destruct it because I, I would I, I needed to find something in my head that made the pain go away about how I was feeling. So everything was fine, amazing relationship. And then I start thinking about, obviously, the old gender thing starts bubbling away at the back of my head again. Oh, I'm thinking about that again. Right, I need to find someone else who's going to take that away. So then I blow that out and I move to another one. And it was just... It was self-destruct for years. I didn't, you know, I would do things when I was have de- DJed all my life because my dad always said to me, have a backup plan if radio doesn't work. My dad used to be, he was a TV engineer. He fixed TVs for a living. Uh, but he also was in a band and a singer and played guitar. So he said, you know, have a DJ career, a live DJ career alongside the radio. Because if the radio doesn't work, at least you've got live gigs. So I'd always done live work. And DJ'd all around the world, Ibiza and here, there, and bloody everywhere. But when I was in clubs, I'd throw myself off the DJ stand, I'd crowd surf, I'd just throw myself into the audience. And I'm like, you know, with no fear, I've thrown myself out of planes. I've, I've done crazy things because I, I, was, I thought if I die, brilliant, it makes it all stop. So that was, you know, that was me just being self-destruct. Never did drugs. Inst- interestingly, that was something I never did, ever. So it was always, it was always booze. It was always gin. <laughs> Good old gin. Um, um, it was, it was a self-destruct thing. It that was that was definitely part of my, I guess, personality because I just thought, well, if, if something happens to me it stops it all, doesn't it? Makes oh the pain gosh, that,
0: that is so, I mean, that's so sad and powerful, but I think a lot of what you've come through, your journey, so to speak, is because of the person you are. Like you showed that resilience, that determination to be like, I'm going to go on that radio. And you were like in at nine and, and helping out and doing all of that. Oh, and yes. you made you made it happen. And similar, like what, what you said earlier about um, you're about the here and now, this is what, we talk about jobs for women like when I do talk sometimes and it's often a man will say don't forget about the men Zoe and oh um what about this so or or they they and I and I have to stop them and say jobs for women isn't about saying oh poor women and oh look at this it's about getting everyone together having the conversations and moving it forward
1: yeah yeah absolutely it's about it's about the I've always been a bit of a futurist. I've always kind of looked forward. I'm, I love a bit of nostalgia. Don't get me wrong, you know. And it's nice to look back. But hey, come on! We need to keep creating. We need to keep pushing forward. We need to keep coming up with new ideas. Constantly thinking about right where, like projection. Where we're going to be in five years' time. I keep, you know, I've created certain things like my Belter's brand, my D, the live shows that I do. I, started DJing in my kitchen um, on Facebook. So when Facebook Live first arrived and they allowed you to you know, reach your audience with live video, I thought, I'm going to do some DJ sets in my, in my kitchen. And then lockdown happened, of course. I was getting like 100,000 views a week. And from that, I've turned that into a live show. But just like, I guess, our parents or grandparents are in summer into northern soul records from the 60s and 70s it's these big northern soul weekenders and all sorts of stuff and that older generation well will become older one day and my belters brand that plays 90s 90s and 10s dance tunes i need that a projected forward that that will see me well into my you know late 40s 50s and i can build that into a brand and i'm touring it so i'm always trying to come up with things that are not short-lived but I've got longevity really as well and I can constantly push and change and you know and and just try and create good stuff that takes people away from the crazy world that we live in
0: yeah and I love that as well like I recorded a short podcast like we do like a 10 minute tips kind of thing and I was urging like I've always had like a bit of an entrepreneurial something in me like my mum and dad had a gift shop in Headingley in Leeds and they went bankrupt and all of that stuff but um I said, I said on the podcast, like, just because you're doing a job, say you're at full time in an office, expand the horizon.
1: Like, if there's something that sets side you on fire, yes, side hustle, <laughs> side hustle, get right, get my thing. Key things for me, I guess, really, and I hope they are for everyone else, is find your tribe, find your tribe, find people who you connect with, and get that side hustle, get it going. Because that's when you can start to, you can move away from the thing that you're not really happy doing. And that side hustle can can become your full-time career. And it can take you on the most amazing journey. So it it is, it's, for me, it's your tribe and your side hustle. And it doesn't matter which order they come in. You know, maybe creating a side hustle helps you find a new tribe and vice versa. Yeah, I love that.
0: Um, And I know we've got to wrap up soon, but we obviously talk about diversity and inclusion. um, you know on on the podcast in everything that we do, and we also work with businesses. Is there anything you think because like I've been speaking to businesses, um you know there's women's networks and there's different religious type networks. yeah, what can companies do? Do you think there's anything you know this is real? People are experiencing this and the turmoil, and you know when you were talking about like all of the noise in your head, what could companies do to support people either going through?
1: similar to what you went through or, or something else, how can they support more? Um, I guess, well, support is the key word, isn't it? And, and I guess it's asking questions and finding out about the person or, or the employee or whatever. It's finding out about how they feel and trying to get them to open up. And it's not easy when you're going through this. It's very easy because you've internalised so much for so long. You feel ashamed sometimes to share how you really feel so you'll only give away the surface stuff but to dig deep it's it's some because people always you know well I'll ask me questions about how I how did you do that I'm like, I don't know it was just sheer determination of I need to get from A to B but the one thing little things that that I guess still to this day and it doesn't happen anymore but when I first transitioned what I found people would do they would they would grab at me going oh let's feel your hair is your hair real oh, oh god look at your hand look at your fingers look at and this is what people would do and I hear stories of it happening in workplaces so someone's transitioned and they've come to work as their true selves and other employees will go oh god looks all look, look, aren't you aren't her hands nice? look at her fingers aren't they nice and it feels like you're, you're on a pedestal or it's the, you look lovely. And that kind of, it's almost in a, it's meant well, but it can almost sometimes feel as in people feel like they've got to say it because they think it will make you feel better. But you just feel like you have been treated differently. Does that make sense?
0: It makes total sense. And I think for anyone listening, it's like that education piece though, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, they think that's maybe what you want to hear.
1: Um, yeah. See. Oh, you look nice. And it's you know sometimes I will. It still happens occasionally. Someone comes up going, "You look really nice," and it's like, "I've been like this for ten years." Oops. Oops. Yeah. Thank you. No, no, thank you. I'm not being ungrateful. And I promise you. I, I absolutely swear I'm not being ungrateful. But it's you know you know that people are, are saying it because they wouldn't usually come up somewhere and say it quietly. People wouldn't do that. You're only doing that because she knew. You know that I transitioned, but you you're trying to make me feel good that oh god, she does look proper. She looks all right, doesn't she? If that makes, I hope that makes sense. and I hope it's that makes to, total right way. Also- it is a
0: hundred, a hundred percent, and I can imagine the situations. And then just just before, because I know that you had a really supportive team. You've talked about the years when you did make the decision. What Were you working? Did you have a radio gig at that time? Yeah, Or did you yeah, take I was, time I
1: was, out? I quit my job. I was, I was doing the biggest breakfast show outside London. I quit my job. But I'd been doing that show. I'd been doing breakfast shows for 15 years. And the show I was doing, I'd done for 11 and a half, nearly 12 years. So even though it, it was really hard to walk away from, I mean, there was silly money coming in. You know, we're talking silly six-figure salary. It, it, everything was amazing. It was brilliant, but that—that that has not always been my motivator. It's not the thing. You know, money is not. It's about happiness. Yes, money is is great, and you know, you can put food on the table and pay the mortgage, especially in the cost of living crisis that we're in now. But I figured that, and I, and what I'd done as well, I'd been saving. I'd been squirreling stuff away. Not having nights out, not having holidays, because I knew that I had, to, I had to create a war chest to buy a new wardrobe, you know, to fund some surgeries, some private surgeries. All of these things that I needed to do, I, I, I knew I wouldn't have a job in the short term. And yes, the radio industry did clap and applaud and were incredibly supportive but there was no offers of jobs, whereas before there was constant offers or people trying to poach you and stuff like that. But I think the industry didn't – look, my voice wasn't right to start with, and I tried really hard with my voice and had lots of vocal therapy and all sorts of stuff like that, and it plateaued. So I was searching – I knew they did – female feminization vocal surgery, where they basically tighten the vocal fold. So the wider the vocal fold, the lower the voice, the narrower the vocal fold, the higher the resonance. And I knew that they did this. So I found the guy that invented the surgery in Korea. So I booked oh. myself a flight to Seoul uh, on my own, uh, at a consultation uh, and they did it there and then. Well, I was muted, put under a general anesthetic They went in, narrowed my vocal folds. Um, I couldn't speak. Well, I had to sign a document that said something like, you know, there's a risk of losing your voice. I'm like, I'm a broadcaster. Mm. Oh, well, sod it. Believe, (laughs) achieve. You'll be fine. Um, And then I couldn't speak for a month uh, because you weren't allowed to speak. Um, And then it recovered over a period of time. And this is, I don't have to place it. I don't have to put it anywhere. Because before, I always had to think about, I couldn't laugh out loud because it, I felt it came out false. I had to, because the the vocal box is basically a muscle. So you need to train it. And this is, you know, impressionists do so many different voices. And so it is possible, but mine just, I'm a broadcaster. I'm a public speaker. I need this thing to work. And I need to be able to laugh. I used to laugh silently. People would tell a joke. I'd be like, and not do anything because I wasn't, I couldn't laugh out loud because I knew it would come out wrong. So there was all of these things. Um, I knew that I had to pay for privately. So I was squirreling away loads of cash for years. <laughs> I just wasn't going on holiday or doing things or having a new car. I wasn't doing anything. Like that. I was just putting money away, just every penny I could, because I knew that I would do this at some point. Um, so I think that was the thing for me. Um, I can't remember the question now. I've gone off on a huge tangent no no, but... that was I,
0: everything you like honestly, I'm kinda like mouth open because you're you're just incredible, honestly the question it's not, what...
1: so it's survival it's it's yeah. survival, and it's the believe achieve, and I believe that those two words no pun intended actually no pun intended. I believe that thoughts become reality, and you know if you surround yourself with negative people. You will start to think like them and you'll start to become cynical and negative. But if you've got good people around you that are positive, you'll thrive and things will happen because you believed that you could. So I genuinely believe that you can believe, achieve. Look, I'm not saying that you can believe, achieve the Euro millions. Maybe you can, but it's not happened yet. Um, but Thoughts become reality, and that is—I mean, we know that. So, if you believe it, you can achieve it.
0: I'm hundred percent with you on that. I'm massive into manifestation and yoga. Yeah. Um, so just really quickly before we wrap up, when so the the radio industry went, oh, well done, clap clap, and then the <laughs> offers dried up. So then, yeah,
1: then then I, um, there was a lady at, at the BBC in Manchester who um, who wanted to put me back on air, and she says, "Oh, we'll give you some um." daytime shows on you know some cover shifts when people are off i went oh gosh no um what 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 what's the show you've got that's got the lowest amount of audience um i think i said that to her or something and uh, she went oh i think it's saturday nights um 10 o'clock it's on measure it, it's really small the audience i went i can't do any damage there great so she gave me saturday nights on bbc radio manchester and that was a guess that was about after a year and a bit a year and a half off, of it, off air. Uh, and that was my, I guess, baby steps back in. But I remember doing the first show, and it was before BBC Sounds, it was BBC iPlayer. And once you finished the show, it automatically uploads onto, well, Sounds now, but iPlayer then. So I got in the car, left the radio station in Salford at Media City, got in the car, listened back, and I was just heartbroken. I couldn't see the road for tears. I just sounded crap, rubbish, oh voice was awful it was just so that's how that's that's what led me to lots of speech therapy and you know i i tried to get the better and i did get one of the best speech therapists but you know and I, i've i done some damage to my vocal cords from doing gigs and scream i screamed gareth gates really loud in front of seventy thousand people after doing a party in the park gig and i think on the g I felt something go twang, So I think I damaged something. And the surgeon who did, he said, you would got some, there was some scar tissue in there. So I think that always stopped me from getting to a certain resonance as well. Um, but yes, yeah, so she gave me a show. Then I did that for about three years or something, two or three years. Then I had the vocal surgery. And from that, I started to sound a bit better. So the industry went, oh, you can come back now. Um, so I was given a daily show on on the BBC, on Radio Leeds. And, um, and I did that. Stephanie O'Shea on BBC Radio Leeds. Really luckily won a, an industry award, an ARIA, for that. So that was good. So that showed that, right, I could still do this. I could, I could get back. And then DJing in my kitchen and the Belters thing, um, one of the biggest networks on radio, Hits Radio, said to me, do you want to come and do some Belters shows? And I was thinking about leaving the BBC at this point to go back to public speaking full time. Uh, and I thought, oh, this might work, so I could do Hits Radio on the weekend and public speaking Monday to Friday, which is what I do. So I've got two national shows on a weekend on Hits Radio, Saturday Night Belters, 10 to 1, which is big 90s not as 10s dance throwbacks. You can listen again by getting the Hits Radio app downloaded. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the Sunday throwback, which is big some from the 90s through to light last year, um, and I do that 7 to 10 on a Sunday evening. And then Monday to Fridays is, is made up of, you know, going to huge businesses. I was at Sky headquarters a few weeks ago, speaking for them, you know, I, I, speaking for huge brands, but also small businesses as well. And, and startups and grassroots businesses. So I, I do arrange there's There's a whole, you know, tariff of, of, you know, when it comes to, you know, what these, cause I've got to obviously make a living and it's my job. Um, so yeah, but it's uh, you can go to my website. I feel like I'm doing a plug now. Um Go to my website stephaniehurst.co.uk um, and click on Believe Achieve, and it'll t- tell you all the details there.
0: That and is, you've goes. just basically answered my last question without having to ask. This is just Why amazing. How can people get in touch? Get in touch? <laughs> and what's next? And yeah, hmm. you've just basically done it. And I'll what's put all next? the links so in like- the sh- yeah. What is that? what is, it? It? is Believe Achieve is that is that Sky's the limit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I want to travel the world doing it. I want to get into the territories. Um I've already done a couple of gigs in Europe, which is good. Um, So that's good. So I, I want to get into other territories and I want to do, I want to do some stuff in America because I think they need a bit of this. Um, they do. And um, I'd like to visit Canada. That's somewhere I'd like to go because I think that that's a, a, an you know, I've got some friends who live out there and it, it sounds incredible. Very cold, but incredible. Um, so, yeah, there's there's loads of stuff I want to do. And I just want to, I, can't, I guess, tell my story. But I've never wanted, I'm, I'm not a victim. I'm not, I've, I don't want anyone to feel sorry. This is, you know, I want to empower people. I want mm-hmm. to show people that anything is possible. And if you can take something from my story, if you think, well, because, you know, we, we hear someone else's story and go, my god, that's massive to what I'm dealing with. Well, if they can do that, I can surely do this, and that's how I would like if anyone who hears my story can be empowered by it and think, Well, that's massive compared to what I've done, uh, which it's not, it's all comparative because you know I can hear your story and go, My god, that's huge compared to mine. So, if people can be empowered by this story, and I can show people that anything is possible and educate them along the way to, to what someone like me with lived experience goes through. Because so I do a big Q&A at the end as well. So I will answer any question, anything. Because I think it's important. You know, people want to ask questions. Ask me, because I'm unoffendable. So just, you know, people get in touch. Ask questions, and I'll, uh, I'll answer them. Yeah, definitely apart everyone. The, apart from the politi- politicisation, and the and the current gender idol- ideology that the government seems to be pushing, I'm like, is this the last straw you've got? Is this the last thing you've got? Gosh, appalling. But anyway, that's, well, a different I love, yeah,
0: that's a whole other podcast. I love, love that it. you're so open to answering questions. So definitely reach out to Stephanie um, if anything has resonated with you. Check out our website. I'll put all the links um, and just keep doing what you're doing. You're bloody amazing. Like mine
1: to you as well. Congratulations, because women's With Jobs is just incredible. What you do is just phenomenal.
0: Wow, wow, wow. I hope you enjoyed that podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it and make sure that you check out um, Stephanie's website page to connect with her to find out more about what she's doing find out where she's gigging where she's speaking it was so eye-opening for me it was educational for me and it was bloody inspiring and I just hope you enjoyed it as much as as I did and um, take from it something maybe something to kick you up the ass to make you think i can do this i can i can do anything I, I can achieve it i can believe it i can achieve it because stephanie's testament to that whole ethos so that's it for another episode of the jobs for women podcast season three. Hello, we are here. If you haven't joined the members club, then what are you waiting for? Head over to uh, community.jobsforwomen.co.uk forward slash join. We have masterclasses every month. We've got free training. It's all happening. and I'd love to see you there. Take care of yourselves and I'll see you soon.